0: Your job, your primary job is to equip the church for the work of the ministry. So how are you doing that? And regularly evaluate your success as a minister, not on conversions, not on baptisms, not on how many people, butts are in the seats, or how big your budget is, or how big your building is. Let go of the three Bs, (laughs) you know, butts, buildings, and budgets, and really focus on how are you equipping and celebrate in your own ministry the people that you've seen equipped for the work of the ministry.
1: Welcome, my friend. This is the weekend edition of the Coaching for Pastors podcast. The book is Kaleidoscope. Keeping the Church from Becoming a Museum, and I love at the bottom of the cover, it says Kurt Trempert, and then in little le- letters underneath it, it says, a practitioner, which is exactly how I would want to be described, Kurt. And you are the author of this book, Kaleidoscope, and you're joining with me today for the Coaching for Pastors podcast. Welcome.
0: Thanks for having me, Jeff. I really appreciate it. It's always good to see your Iowa face from here in Colorado.
1: Kurt, welcome. I want you to introduce yourself to the listeners and just tell us about uh, where you're at and what you're doing and then a little bit about your family as well.
0: I pastor a church here in Colorado Springs, uh, downtown Colorado Springs to be specific. And no, Colorado Springs is not the, the bastion for conservative evangelicalism that so many people think it is, especially not in our part of the city. So I'll just start out with that, because that's usually what people think of when they think of Colorado Springs. As, sure. Um, that. Uh, the second thing. Spring,
1: um, the springs of living water, right? Yeah, that's
0: right. That's right.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, there are lots of springs, in, but most of them are in Manitou. Yeah, so I've been here for 23 years now. This month, actually, well, last month, just been uh, plugging away for some time. Uh, stepped into this church from another church. I was pastoring in California. My wife and I were out there. We moved here to take over this church. Great time, great experience. It's been wonderful. It's been a good fit for us. Um, on the same token, it's been a lot of hard work over the last 23 years, and also grew up overseas as a missionary kid. So grew up, and a lot of people call it a third culture kid, uh, because we have to blend uh, two cultures together and create our own little weird culture, which my wife is constantly reminding me that I am weird. And uh, <laughs> she grew up in, she lived in the same house her entire life, brought home to the house that she, I married her out of. So she brought home from the hospital. Wow. And grew up in that house. Where, for someone like me, I moved every two years like clockwork, and I've lived in multiple countries, multiple states, uh, different houses in different cities, rural, urban, everything in between, suburban, uh, Ohio, Georgia, Alabama. That's the California, um, and now Colorado or different states I've lived in and deeply engaged in. So anyway.
1: And and you know, we can joke about that and everything, but but seriously, that probably has presented a real challenge for you guys, hasn't it, at times? Oh, at when, times. Yeah. Right?
0: Oh yeah, for I mean, sure. So my uh my wife, <laughs> so she is probably she is such a great standard of what I can live in consistent relationship with her and and she's always been this um anchor but in a good way for me and much like uh you know how jesus hebrew author of hebrews describes jesus as an anchor in the same way i would describe Sue as an anchor that uh a tether if you would that keeps me from just following the winds of change and so when i moved her well when god moved us from fort jones it was she was in agreement with that but it For her, it was like ripping up a tree by its roots, and then it took her a long time before she was willing to be taken out of the pot that she'd been placed in and regrow roots. And so um, she's a big reason why um, I've been able to stay faithful in one church for a long period of time, and I'm very grateful for her.
1: You remember John, the guy that I served with on staff here uh, at Community Heights, and he of course was in Argentina for uh, 10 years, and his children essentially grew up there, and when they came back to the States, I remember he and I, he shared with me just some of the challenges that they're not, you know, they look like this culture, but they're not this culture, and you know, what what culture are they? They go back to the culture they grew up in, but they don't look like they belong to the culture. And and just just tease that out just for a second. Just describe what that was like, because as pastors, we deal with missionary families, and we yeah. need to be thinking about the kids in those families and be a little sensitive to that.
0: Yeah, I think the and kind of what it kind of drives a lot of my thought process in relationship to even my book Kaleidoscope is, you know, it's so a lot of TCKs tend to be perceived as being just critical of everything. But really, when TCKs are being critical, they're really trying to think critically about their context. And they're trying to figure out, is it wrong? Or is it just different? And Mm -hmm. they've been told their entire lives, it's not wrong, it's just different. But there are some things that are just wrong so often we tend to if you if you're a monocultural kid then you tend to just accept that that's just the way it is and there's no other way of doing something or being something and so you just go along with the flow where a tck tends to be a chameleon so they'll appear like they're a part of that particular context but inside they're they're stewing in their brain and they're processing everything differently Um, Hmm. the, than the other kids in the room, if you would, when you're thinking about kids and as they grow up and they begin to think more critically, it just plays out different in different ways. And sometimes it can appear very critical of the church, very critical of culture. Um, but really, like I said, most of the time they're just processing, well, okay, what is, what is the straight and narrow here that I need to stick to? And they're really just trying to process what that looks like. And and so the best thing you can do is give them space to do that and welcome TCKs into the conversation, if you would, and say, so do you see this as something that's just wrong or do you see this as something that's different? And it's really good to just hear their process because sometimes it's, it you'll be, I think you'll be very impressed with how, how and challenged by how T.C. gays see the world.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. We know working with leaders and people in the church that it, that's a big variable, whether or not you grew up in the same country that you live in and and the cultures that you've been in. But there's a lot smaller variables with everybody in our church, and we need to understand where people are coming from, what their story is, what their context are. And, yeah, that's that's always been fascinating to me somebody who grew up in a pretty small context and didn't ever travel for probably the first 20 years of my life. I never got more than, you know, I don't know, 50, a hundred miles away from home for the most part. And then, then I made up for it after that. But (laughs) yeah, that's pretty interesting. So go, no, go ahead.
0: No, I was just going to say, you know, and, and that's just it. There's so many, Variables of culture, right? It's like you know, we joke about Iowa culture and Colorado culture being different, um, and that is true. And urban versus suburban, or urban versus uh, rural, um, America being different, um, and and those variables just it just becomes um, increasingly different Um, when you start moving outside the u.s when you start moving outside the continent when you start moving outside of western european uh culture mindset and you start getting into eastern uh, thought or african thought it just it totally changes you know so me i was from i was a missionary kid in ecuador in a big city in ecuador and went to an american school um american private school and so. That culture change or the culture shift that I had to go through was vastly different than some of my friends in college who had come from Indonesia, for example. For them, that was a much bigger culture shift than it was for me, and especially for those students that didn't go to an American school um, that went to a national school in their context and then came back to the States um, for college or whatever. Mm -hmm that was a much bigger shift, more seismic, if you would, for them than it was for me. And so it really just kind of, so context, man, context is everything, right? In ministry, uh, for so many of us as pastors, we have to be students of context, right? We have to be students of culture. We have to be students of uh, the shifts that we're asking people to make. And sometimes we're asking people to make just seismic shifts, and we don't realize how big of a seismic shift it's going to be in their world and because it's not that big of a shift for us. I run into that all the time, and that's probably one of my greatest failings as a leader is not understanding the seismic shifts that I'm asking people to make.
1: Because you're used to making those seismic shifts. You have all your life, right?
0: Yeah, change. My wife always says you're comfortable with change, and not every, nobody likes change. Let let me be very clear. Nobody likes change in general. Some of us have become accustomed to change, um, a little more than others. And so, yeah, for me, I'm just more comfortable with being uncomfortable, if you would. And yeah. not not everybody's okay with that. So.
1: So it was a, it was a lot of years before I understood my own context that I grew up with an alcoholic dad who never showed up at home on time, never followed through on his word, never was consistent, always disappointed me left and right and left and right day after day, after week, after month. And what I learned was how to just be totally forgiving, like Mm -hmm. just totally chill like if you don't do what you said you're going to do, well, that's that's fine. No, we're fine. We're good. Cuz if I had to get mad at him every time that happened, I would have left home at some point. And so I just had to I just had to go go with the flow. And so as a leader, I have to be careful to hold people accountable because my nature is to just be like, "Oh, no, you didn't get it done." No, that's that's fine. That's fine. We'll we'll take care of it. No, don't worry about it. But I didn't understand that about myself for the longest time until I suddenly realized, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a professional forgiver. Yeah. I can't ever, hardly ever, be offended or put out because you do anything to me, and I just, I'll just go with it. I'm just fine. But that's has some downsides as a leader because yeah. you do have to hold people accountable. So that oh, was yeah. that was my context.
0: Yeah. Well, and that's just it. Is this the source of our strength. Is also the source of our great you know, our weaknesses, right? So we all struggle with overdoing our strengths. For me, the way that plays out is my strength is change leadership, if you would. There's change management. But I tend to not manage it enough because I'm always four steps beyond the the change process and that I'm comfortable going and the people are the people in the church tend to be four steps behind where we are. I don't know why I say four, but that's just, it, it seems like I'm all, which is why I lean on my wife. So, and my elders for that matter and say, Hey, how are you guys feeling? How are you feeling about this change? How are you feeling about this movement uh, and our, our speed of things? I can't rely on the staff to do that because the staff tend to be on the same page as me in that process. But my wife tends to be a little bit slower and then the, the elders I find tend to be a little bit slower than her. And then I feel like the congregation is about two steps behind them. So it ends up being a good, I always have to weigh the changes that I want to implement against all of that behind
1: me. So, so Kurt, did you share about your kids, your, your family makeup? Uh, no,
0: I have three kids. I've been married. Well, we've been married for, uh let's see what is it Thirty, thirty-one and a half 31 and a half years and I have uh three kids all grown all married uh, just married the last one off a month ago and so two daughters and a son and daughter son daughter in that order and uh yeah they're all doing well have two grandkids and one more on the way so um super excited two granddaughters and a grandson on the way and so we're super excited about that next change and just loving being a grandpa. And that's just such a, such a great shift in my understanding of the world. And uh, I love how worldview is constantly adjusting for me and uh, and just my worldview has shifted now with having grandkids and all my kids being adults and um, yeah. Parenting adults is wow. Um, just Learning. To live as a sage living on a mountain waiting for them to come see you is hard for somebody who <laughs> is much more prophetic than than what they're comfortable with at this stage in their life. So
1: Yeah, I'm about five years ahead of you, Kurt, and it's uh it is definitely a different it's a different stage. I I was waiting for this like this real easy, quiet, kind of lazy river, empty nest thing, <laughs> but it did not happen because no. the kids were not even out of the house yet, all of them. Before the grandkids started showing up, yeah. but it's wonderful. Tomorrow, I get to go and spend time with my youngest, five and a half, no, five month old granddaughter, and she's just that squeezable, lovable, huggable um, age. So I'm looking forward to that. Kurt, twenty three years you've been at this church. Yes. Okay. So your wife's a keeper. She's a stayer. She's you know she she likes to stay in one place. Other than that, Kurt, what would have been some of the stages that you've gone through at your church? Like, have you ever gone back and looked and said, oh yeah, like the first 10 years or the first seven years was a certain way, and then things shifted, and I had a different experience then for a number of years. You ever thought about it in those terms, or, or, or what, did, what have you done in ministry that has helped you to be able to stay in one church for that many years?
0: That's a great question in the sense that I'm not really sure other than God just kind of made it very clear to me that I'm not letting you go from this place for a while. Um, My plan when I moved here was to basically get the church revitalized because it was a revitalization church. I wasn't too keen on staying through an established church. In fact, one of my theories back 25 years ago, was that the life cycle of the church was about 15 years. I've since changed that, obviously, I've been here. Although I will say that the harvest is different and we've continued to shift our how we bring ministry, how we bring the gospel to our context. So we continually, I would say probably about once every uh, uh, five to 10 years, somewhere in that Gap. Yeah, I think every five to 10 years since I've been here, we've shifted um, our ministry to adjust to the changing context around us. When I first got the harvest, I'm a Gen X pastor and the church was by far boomer um, when I first came. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so as I've been here, you know, I watched the I, one of the things I brought in was a shift to you know, hey, we have to include Gen X, we have to think about what Gen X is going through. And then very quickly, probably about 2005, so five years in, we shifted and said, we need to start thinking about millennials and everything became a conversation about millennials. And it was just probably two, right before COVID actually, by 2019, 2019, I actually pulled aside the staff and I said, we need to stop thinking about millennials and we need to start talking about Gen Z. Um, cause I, my staff is, you know, the, I say staff, we have a lot of volunteer staff, but we just, I said, we need to start thinking about what are we doing to reach uh Gen Z and stop thinking about what we're doing to reach millennials as much, because you're going to naturally reach millennials because the bulk of you are millennial. Um, so you're going to naturally do that. We have to think about being missional to Gen Z. So those would be probably some major shifts that have happened. Um, and frankly, along the way, we had to um, bring the church along with us in that as staff and as elders, you know, hey, we want to go this direction. Are you OK with that? And, I, and most of our changes have happened based on the generational changes and also on the changing demographic in our city. In downtown Carlos Springs, there's been when I first got here, downtown was considered kind of very urban in the sense that it was very um a lot of urban poor a lot of rental units the cheapest apartments were downtown let's put it that way that mm-hmm. is no longer the case the more most expensive apartments now are downtown so it's become a very hipster kind of context as uh young millennials and older gen z are starting to um, move into downtown carlos springs and so that's totally shifted our thinking and how we engage with our city.
1: So I heard a lot there, Kurt. And I think you said the life cycle of a church is 15 years. Probably if you didn't shift, if you didn't make those shifts every five to 10 years by about 15 years, your, their life cycles coming up, right?
0: I, I mean, would, yeah, I would probably agree with you. In fact, that's yeah. what I did say 15, you know, 30 years ago when I first started ministry or 25 years ago, when I was thinking about these things, I was like, I just, from my experience of watching different churches and having grown up as a missionary kid, so watching lots of different churches and hearing about lots of churches, yeah, I would say I agree with you. I think it is about, you know, after about every, yeah, if you don't make any shift, uh, you will. And you don't technically replant the church, if you would. The church is going to, yeah, just kind of die around you, if you would.
1: So those are some great Lessons there that when you get to a church, it's not you and it's not what you know today, but it's how well you can continue to develop and then how well you develop your people or else you're just going to, it's yeah. just going to kind of fizzle. It's, and
0: It's a changing landscape all the time. No doubt.
1: Yeah. And, and so you write this book, Kaleidoscope, keeping the church from becoming a museum. I think you just basically, in microcosm, you just talked about that. Yeah, But- what what I want to go to, Kurt, is for you as a pastor, um, pastors over the last 23 years, the view of pastors has shifted some, the level of respect that pastors have in the community has shifted. Uh, wh- what have you seen, what have you had to change? Something you were doing like the first five years of your church there in Colorado Springs where you are now, <laughs> compared to like the last five years, any any kind of a shift in how you present well, yeah. yourself into the community.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I used to, when we first moved here, um, well, first we rented a house right next door to the church building to, to, you know, where the church existed. And, uh, it was almost like, which we were very comfortable with because we came from a rural community where we lived in, uh, the parsonage behind the church. Uh, and that was, yeah. you know, I mowed the grass. It was, well, Ter did a lot of the mowing too. So, you know it was it was a very that that's just that's just where we were right uh so moving in next door to the church was no big deal and and then we bought a house probably 20 minutes away well 17 minutes i think is how long it took me to drive into downtown thinking it was in the same city and uh but i would drive to ter- i would drive to the church every day from tuesday through friday I wouldn't drive in on Saturday because that was, uh, um, you anyway, know, I didn't do that. And then I come in on early, early Sunday morning. That was my week. And that was my week for probably five years. And then we moved to, it bought a house downtown. So now I'm only two miles. It took me five minutes to drive to the church. And I still continued to go to the church building Every day, you know, um, typically I would stop at the coffee shop and hang out at the coffee shop, um, before I got to, you know, for a couple hours. And then I go into the building and work from my office, um, and then meet people. And that, that was my launching pad was the church building. I would say probably 10 years ago, I realized that was foolish and that, um, no longer was the church building the place of ministry, that ministry was happening in watering holes, coffee shops, uh, restaurants, living rooms, and out and about and over the phone and that kind of thing. And so I suddenly came to realize that the more time I spent in the office, the less time I was doing in ministry. And so that was a huge shift that happened for me is that the office became a laptop, uh, you know, um, and the... Yeah. And my laptop and phone have become the thing that I use to do ministry and, and I have a bag that every, all my books that I'm reading, everything that I'm officing, you know, current commentary, whatever I carry around with me. And that's like, that's my office. It doesn't matter, you know, where it is. So yeah, I could be sitting in the car waiting for my wife to be in the grocery store and get out or whatever, and still be officing in that context. So
1: that's really interesting. So this week I didn't have to prepare to preach because I'm not preaching this weekend. And my associate pastor is, and he left yesterday. He didn't come in yesterday, sent us all an email and just said, Hey, I'm going to be out of the office today, preparing for Sunday morning's message. Uh, let me know if you need anything. And I, cause I'm still, you know, I'm, I'm from the old school, right? You got your office. This is the pastor's study. <laughs> right. And this yeah. is how I grew up. And this was back when you didn't even have a computer in your office, but that's where all your books were. That's where your church phone was because you didn't have a cell phone. So that's where that was. Yeah. And, and, and so this week, even, I'm realizing, yeah, I'm not so crazy when I feel guilty because I can't get all my Sunday preparations done in my office. Yeah. I just, I just can't. But as the, as the lead pastor, as the you know the senior pastor, if you're not around your people, I mean you're not leading. So yeah. you kind of have to be around them. But but I so I struggle with that some, Kurt, because yeah. I know that the longer I'm in the office, sometimes the less real uh, effective work you're doing, and you need to be out and about. And they've they've created a, a beautiful office for me at this church. And sometimes I feel a little guilty that I'm not getting getting their money's <laughs> worth by spending time yeah. in it. So all that to say, I, I, totally I hear, hear you.
0: I hear you too, because I do think that there's always that tension that I should be, you know, like we just spent, you know, a million dollars doing a remodel of some stuff in our building. And, and, and that was, you know, and so it, you always have that tension is, well, should we do we have to do this at the church, which we call at 411, or because we are very intentional about not referring to, um, that's something that happened right before COVID. We started to make that shift and not refer to the building as the church anymore. So, and we started to make the shift to say, hey, we're doing this at 411, which is our address. It's, and uh, and versus where, you know, we're going to do this at whatever address it is, and so at four one one became the 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 name and the symbol. So it's kind of cool to get people's text messages. Hey, are we meeting at four one one, or are we meeting oh, at like pushback, it. Are we meeting at whatever the coffee shop down the road? Where are we meeting? Um, and so, like, even especially with my elders, they'll say, "Hey, are we meeting at four one one tonight, or are we whatever?" So I, you know, I love referring to yeah the the space as a address it's just been really good for us and healthy for us
1: that's helpful in the church that i was at in northwest iowa there wasn't a sign anywhere on the building there just there wasn't one and i never really pushed to have one so we were at church for 14 years that didn't have a sign and the next pastor that followed me he immediately put up some signs that look really nice they look great and people know yeah, that's what church this is. But part of me was that theological piece that it's not the church. It's just the building. Right. And I, I've often thought we could refer to it as the ministry center. I suppose that's uh, another word. But I like the address. I really yeah. like that. I, I often will say here on the hill because our church kind of sits okay. up on the hill. Mm-hmm. So I'll say, you know, it doesn't have to, have to happen in the building here on the hill.
0: Yeah, Exactly. Well, so, that wouldn't work here in Colorado because everything's on a hill. Well, context, context is everything. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, but but you do the four one one, right? So we do four Yeah, well, that's right. that works. That works. Yeah. I like that. Yeah,
0: we. You know, and it's the other thing. You know, one other shift that I would say that just came up this week in a conversation with someone, and and it's I didn't realize how big of a shift it was for me. I was just actually rereading just a little portion of my book, I realized that I said in there that I preach almost every Sunday. That's not true anymore. And it hasn't been true for some time. And what, what I mean by that is that, man, I have a teaching team. So I probably only preach at this point, uh, two Sundays a month, and I'm the most consistent preacher. And the reason and what's fascinating about that is that lends itself to leadership development and to raising up. And plus, it's a lot of freedom for me to do other things and to dream about stuff. Because, you know, I mean, Sundays, if Sunday's coming and you've got to preach and you've got to do this and you've got all these other responsibilities and you don't have a team around you. One thing I've heard is like pastors can't go on vacation because they worry about whether the church will survive. Um, Man, I had to give that up probably yeah. about seven years ago. I finally stopped. I realized nobody remembers my sermons anyway. Why am I spending all my time investing in that when I really need to be investing in leaders Because and raising up the next worker for the work of the ministry? And so that became my thing uh probably eight years ago i made the huge shift on that and And so have you uh, seen
1: a positive outcome
0: oh man yeah i mean i have tons of free time no besides that um (laughs) besides having free time it's honestly we've seen guys raised up we've seen people sent out missionaries church planters um uh, just this last sunday i was able to connect with a guy that we sent out um two years ago um, moved to, uh, to Omaha actually, and he's going to be stepping into another ministry in Omaha, uh, soon here. And so it's just, you know, it's so good to see, see him and his wife and just, um, enjoy a meal together and celebrate what God's doing in their world and, and in their ministry. And, um, uh, just sent a couple to, uh, the middle East, just, uh, phew, the, the, they left in October, um, we've seen workers sent around the world, all kinds of different places from Bangladesh to, um, South Africa to, uh, like I said, to middle East and, uh, yeah, gosh. And then seeing, uh, staff raised up around me and licensed and be working towards that, uh, towards the ordination and consecration process. And it's just, it's just a beautiful picture of in my mind of what it means to be an apostolic church of raise up and send out, raise up and send out. It's been such an encouragement to me to know that my, (laughs) if my legacy is not a building, number one, which I think we as men tend to do, particularly pastors, you know, we tend to think of our legacy as the building or my legacy is not even the church that gathers here at four and one on a Sunday, rather my legacy is, is the wake of ministers that will continue to raise up ministers for the sake of the gospel going forward. And that is what my, I am intentionally moving towards in my legacy. So,
1: so based on some of what you just said, my, my last question for this episode, Kurt, since it is coaching for pastors, if, if there's a new pastor who's fresh in a church what would you tell that pastor is like the just the most important they forget everything else which is the most important thing that you need to be thinking about you need to keep it top of mind. what yeah. would it be
0: yeah uh your job is to equip the church for the work of the ministry, not do the work of the ministry um that's your primary job is to equip the church for the work of the ministry um and so that happens through discipleship that happens through evangelism that happens through engagement that happens through faith that happens through forgiveness i mean you just list all kinds of things it happens through community um but your job your primary job is to equip the church for the work of the ministry so how are you doing that and regularly evaluate your um your success as a minister not on conversions, not on baptisms, not on how many people butts are in the seats or how big your budget is or how big your building is. Let go of the three B's, you know, butts, buildings and budgets and really focus on how are you equipping and celebrate in your own ministry the way, the, the people that you've seen equipped for the work of the ministry. When you see them start doing ministry, celebrate that and celebrate that they are doing more effective at ministry than you are.
1: Okay. I got one more question for you. Okay. (laughs) no, Every month when your leadership team meets your elders or however it's composed there, do you get a financial report?
0: Uh, Yes.
1: Okay. Now, is there anything that's similar to that for people? that you Uh-oh.
0: get. Yeah. Um, I don't get a report necessarily. I just go around the room pretty much once a month with my leadership both with my staff and with my elders. And we just go around the room and say who are you most excited about right now? The question is they see it as who people that are being raised up for the work of the ministry. Okay. And so we talk about everything being ICNU as in a the university if you would concept and it's this okay. idea of I see in you, who are you seeing raised up in ministry? And so it's, uh, yeah, we we are regularly asking that question of our, at least once a month we say, who are you most excited about um, as a group of elders? And I try and do that probably, oh, probably once every two months with the staff um, because we have an all staff, uh, how do I describe this? So we have our regular weekly staff meetings and I regularly ask them once a month, who are you most excited about? And not what are you most excited about? I had to correct that several times. I don't, I don't want to know about the program you're most excited about. I want to know about who you're most excited about. So that's number one, number two, and then we have our all staff meeting, which is the, all the ministry leaders from across the church. See, we call them staff as well we just would put them in the category as ministers in the church versus ministers of the church. And so we bring all the ministers in the church that are actively leading ministry together and ask them that same question probably once every two months. Um, and the rest of the time is more logistical and uh, staff development kind of questions.
1: So I'm taking notes <laughs> and <laughs> okay. I rarely if ever take notes when I'm, when I'm having a conversation with somebody like this, but ministers in the church and ministers of the church. I like that. I like that. And then uh, ICNU, right? Yeah. <laughs> University. I like that. And then who uh, Who are you most excited about? And I just did an episode the other day talking about the most, probably the most important thing we do as a pastor is we have to select and develop leaders. Oh man, you, know, you have to decide, you know, who is it you're going to pour your time into. You got to pick the right ones because some of them have holes in the bottom of their pails. Yep. You know, and you pour your life in and it just leaks out of the bottom. So, good stuff, Kurt. Can I just
0: say keep yes. pouring into those people that leak out the bottom?
1: Ah, um, why? Why isn't that a bad investment?
0: See, I would say it's nothing's wasted in the kingdom of God, and you don't know who that's leaking into below them. Yes, I know it's frustrating and I am the first person to say you're dead to me (laughs) And, and that's not healthy. I've been challenged on that a lot lately. You know, nothing's wasted in the kingdom of God is the thing that I come out with on that. And so a lot of leaders out there, I think, get tired of investing in people and then they leave and they go elsewhere. We're in a very transient community here in Carl Springs. Uh, And I regularly run into people who have come through our church 10, 15 years ago who leave and then come back later, just passing through. And there was a couple that came through not too long ago. And after the service, she came, the wife came up to me afterwards and said, I just wanted you to know that the investment you put in our lives while we were in college, is still bearing fruit today. And it was just like she just said God bless you. God bless your ministry. Keep keep up the good work kind of thing. I didn't even remember her name. I to this I don't remember her name now. Nice. Um yeah. I just um it was I didn't even remember that they came to our church years ago. Because, you know, it's 15 years ago. I mean, I'm old. This gray hair is because I'm it's names leaving the body is what it is, and I just want to say that you don't know the far-reaching impact that your investment, even what you think is menial, is going to have far-reaching um, results in someone's life and ministry.
1: Kurt, this has been so good. It was supposed to be twenty minutes. It's been forty. Oh, geez. Uh, and I, I do want to say to our listeners that I'm gonna we're gonna continue to record, but for the 200 churches podcast and we're going to talk about your book kaleidoscope so if you wanted to uh if you wanted to listen to the rest of it you would pick that up on episode 409 which is coming out december 14th on the 200 churches podcast because that's where we're going right now kurt but thank you for joining us on coaching for pastors
0: thanks for having me